I'll be talking about cracking the code today. Uh, that seems kind of cryptic, but really what it is is understanding national accounts. And I took an approach for um, more specifically in private label wine, but a lot of what I'm going to be talking about is, um, is really across the board for national accounts. Uh, ben, of course, was speaking to sales uh, in more general. Uh, I'll be speaking to sales more specifically um, to this breed of, uh, of very interesting on-premise chain buyers. And uh, if uh, any of you guys work with these uh, chain buyers, you know that they are relationship people, right? It's, uh, it's, it takes time, uh, effort, uh, and, and very specific um, knowledge. So let's go through. If I can understand how to use this first. There we go. So my name is Adam Billings. I work uh, at IMI Agency. We're a full-service beverage agency. And we, um, we have been working on uh, national accounts for probably almost 20 years now. And when I started with this company, uh, about 15 years ago, uh, we had lodging clients. That was kind of our, um, uh, you know, where we got our, our start. And Marriott actually was one of our first accounts. And Marriott Hotels, uh, this was about the same time that Marriott was looking at procurement from all different angles, how to standardize that, um, how, to, how to look at... Uh, what they're doing with bedding and sheets and ordering of standardizing those products. And we looked at the bar and we said, how can we do that, have that same approach, but apply it to the bar? And what we found was it was a lot of mandates and a lot of compliance, right? So that was our job for, for maybe 10 years. It was just focused on here's a program, here's how uh, we need to teach each of these properties. Uh, that there's a mandate list and that you've got to um, be, have strict guidance to this. And, and each of these programs that we're putting together are like cookie cutters, right? That was, the, that was the name of the game back then. And now what we're finding is we're kind of undoing a lot of the work that we have really put effort into, and that's everybody now wants a unique program, right? They don't want to have that same standardized program uh, and, and really, the unit specifically, they never wanted to have these uh, cookie-cutter programs. But corporate always said that's, that's the way to do it. So we're finding that we're undoing all that work. But specifically, what we're trying to do here in, um, is make a, a creative custom program for them. And what better way to do that than private label wine? Right, you're not increasing your SKUs, you're not uh, um, making it difficult, and you have a very competitive, highly um, competitive advantage against your competitive set. So let's look at the landscape. Where we are today, there's a lot of consolidation. There's consolidation in the distributor channel, the wholesaler, of course, um, where we've seen wholesalers merging, purchasing. Uh, we've also seen suppliers that are consolidating as well. What does that bring? A reduction in brands, 
right? So we have less brands available for, uh, for operators to choose from and to put into their programs. And because of uh, this reduction in available brands, we have a reduction in the programs, and which leads to uh, programs that are more similar across the board. And so we see this, and at the same time, it's a little bit ironic, but we're, we're noticing that the same time that we're reducing all these SKUs and making them all um, more standardized, we're seeing that they still want to differentiate themselves, right? And so what better way to do that than private label wine? But this is what they think of. National account buyers, when they're looking at private wine, they look at that and they think their stock rooms are going to be full of product. And they, they're thinking, how do I deal without a stock? How do I deal with inventory issues? Um, you know, where do I even begin? And there's still so much, um, so many rumors out there, and, and it's perceived for the most part. We've, we've answered a lot of these questions, but it's still an issue. And because the buyer themselves at a national account level, this is a career for them, right? They're staking their claim on this. And when, when they go into a decision like private label wine, it's a huge decision for them. It's a career decision for them. They want to make sure that what they do actually is, uh, it doesn't fail, obviously, and it's very successful. And they think that sometimes they're the only ones involved that the decisions that they make are going to be uh, the decisions that, uh, um, they're the only ones that are making that decision. But it's not true. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of trend information. There's a lot of data. There's a lot of great people around. But there's still the issue that we need to dispel some of these rumors. So a lot of education, and not only education to the buyer, but we need to start helping them educate their teams as well all the way up. And so, uh, and I have a story for you. So I, uh, I walked into my uh, favorite liquor store and uh, I was picking out a couple items and I walked over to check out. And at the front, there's a, um, an end cap and I saw my favorite bourbon. And I was looking at it, I'm like, wow, that, it looks a little different. There's, there's something different about it. Maybe it's a, uh, it's a, it's a um, you know, different version or, or a special edition, something like that. And I, and I kept staring at it, and I picked it up, and I looked at it. And I saw that it had the name of the liquor store on the bottle. And I was, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, well, you know, I really like this liquor store. Uh, I like, you know, how bright it is and the great prices and all these things about, uh, you know, the staff is very friendly. But what does that have to do with my favorite bourbon? And I think, you know, and, and that to me, that was my perception of it. I actually looked at the brand differently after that. I don't know if it sold well. I don't know if it was a success or not. But I looked at that and I said, that was not the right brand. That was not the right co-branding experience. And, I, and so when we talk to our clients, our national account clients, uh, about private label wine, we talk about having the right brand. And we also talk about having the right positioning. 
So, and, and those are self-explanatory for the most part. Uh, you want to make sure that uh, that you're um, that you have trend data, that you have brand information, that you have smart smart people around you. Uh, but I think all of that also, uh, it, you know, you have to take in consideration the right timing, right? So the, the timing is so important. A lot of these projects can take six weeks, eight weeks just to develop them. And when you have a timeline and that timeline gets pushed back, then that window of execution changes. And so when we talk to our clients about private label wine, it's always right brand, right positioning, and right timing. Uh, and I will uh, say one thing, agencies like ourselves, beverage agencies, don't typically get involved in uh, uh, private label wine. One, because our revenue model is around uh, uh, marketing support and by design private label wine just doesn't have marketing support attached to it but we do consult our clients on it all the time uh, and, and I just wanted to show you a couple examples of where we found um, some success and the different types of people of uh, national account buyers um, that are doing these projects uh, Mary Melton uh, she's been with PF Chang's ever since I've known her um, She's a, an amazing, wonderful buyer, uh, and she has developed that wine program uh, very well, and she's been a, uh, rewarded for it. They, this is actually her second project. She had another private label before this um, that was successful, but this was a partnership that they did between P.F. Chang's and Brown Family Vineyards, which I think was actually very smart. Um, they had, you know, it's all about uh, the friendship between P.F. Chang's and, um, and the vineyard. It's also about the wine pairing itself. So her approach on this was, let's find a wine that pairs well with our food. Let's develop that and, and, and then let's execute it. And this is pretty new. Um, I think the initial run was about 4,000 cases sold through wonderfully. And, uh, and I think we're gonna see more um, projects like this from her. Even though you know, she might be in the industry for 15, uh, probably more than that, she would probably yell at me for saying that, but, uh, and this is literally her only, her second time in private label. And I think that uh, the more success stories that we see out of this, the more we're gonna find that these uh, are gonna be popping up. And uh, one other, project. I don't know if anybody knows Tyler Fields at Morton's. He's been doing private label wine for uh, before Landry's purchased them. Uh, and, and if you ever sat down next to him and talked to him about this, he would tell you all about how successful this is, how this has become a part of their, uh, their program. I think probably about 25% of their wine by the glass is private label. And his approach is a little bit different. Uh, he, when he, um, he's a little bit more strategic, I would say, and he does it more often. So he'll look at trend information, he'll look at varietal information, he'll find out what brands are popping right now, whether it's Miomi or it's Prisoner Wine, and then he'll try to replicate that success. And 
he'll also put riffs on it. So uh, wildly successful in this, I think that um, you know he's he's one of the national account buyers that gets it and that is uh, a big proponent of it. So uh, I wanted to share those two examples with you, but I also wanted to provide you guys with a little bit of information of when, during the sales process, what we suggest, what we see. We have, uh, I have probably been through enough presentations to probably do a couple of them myself. Uh, and it is, um, it's tedious. Uh, a lot of, uh, for national accounts, you, might have 30 meetings in two or three days, and you're back to back on these meetings. These buyers are sitting through them. They get 45 minutes for, um, for you to come in and present and for them to digest the information and then hopefully pull all this information together and make decisions in, in less than a month or two. I think that specifically in regards to private label wine, sell the vision, not the process. There are so many times that I have sat through a presentation where they go through the entire process of, of um, creating a private label. And unless you have that unicorn like Tyler Field who gets both sides and is excited about both sides, it's a very daunting experience for them. So you might have somebody who's more marketing and promotional focused right, which would get completely lost in the, uh, in the blending and, and selection of varietal, and, and then you have on the opposite side somebody who's more uh, wine educated and, and really has far less to do with the marketing and the promotion of it. So I, I, I've been in meetings where I can see the interest levels go from highly interested to, to completely scared. Right, so I think that when, especially if you don't know your buyer, going in, um, selling the vision, at least to start, is super important. Blind tastings. You know, we, um, we have been working with lodging chains for a very long time, and I would say majority of our clients do blind tastings. And I know this because we, figured out we had to come up with an app because we've been doing these on paper, right? We'll have uh, uh, 300 wines over two days and, you, and we bring in 20 people from across their, their company and we will write down on pieces of paper which ones are our favorites. Always done by category and always done by price point. And so we developed an app for it and it was great because now we can, um, everybody can uh, select the wines they want, and then on the screen it'll show uh, which ones were selected afterwards, which is, um, and, and then it'll also text them back. This is where private wines would excel, right? This is the opportunity that they have, is because they are uh, a, a better value in, than typically um, and they're, they're going to perform better by varietal, by price point. Yet we never see private label wine in any of these uh, blind tastings. So 
if, if any of you are in that opportunity, I would suggest you try that because I think even if it's not the wine that they are going to end up with, or if it's um, it's a different wine, it's a, it's a great way to uh, get your foot in the door for those meetings. And uh, this is my this is my last slide. Um, I must have been a little sentimental. My daughter just turned three yesterday, so sorry for the slide, but. Um, Building a lasting relationship. Uh, this is a relationship business. Um, specifically in, in private label wine, there's a lot of trust involved. And unless you have that engagement, that consistent engagement with, this, with your buyer, uh, they're not going to fully trust you. And while this is not easy, it is certainly doable. And whether it is a phone call once a month, or it is a, uh, an email where you're sending them trend information on a regular basis. It's that consistent engagement because you don't want to have that one time per year that you spend 45 minutes with them presenting to them to be the one time that you actually communicate with them. And, and we talk about this consistently and consistently it never happens. So, in national accounts, it's so important. You've got to have that, that relationship with the buyer. And it's not time wasted either, because in national accounts, while they might uh, be in that job and, and, and move to another company, it's typically going to be in national accounts, and they're typically going to go to another national account buyer position. So that time is not going to be lost. It's a very incestuous business. Um, I have made friends uh, ever since that I still know today uh, from, from you know, the 15 years I've been in the industry. And, uh, and national accounts, just, that's just what it is. Uh, multiple touch points. I think that's very important. We, um, whether your buyer is, uh, you're in the process of selling to them or you're in the process of implementing um, you need to have multiple people that you're talking to about this. It's not one person making one decision. This is an organization making that decision. And even if this is implemented and you are uh, uh, three years down the road on this project, you still, if that champion leaves, you need another champion to step up uh, to help implement and, and to continue the process. So. I think multiple touch points is something that, um, uh, that's very important. And, and even from your local teams, too. If you have local teams and local markets when you're handling national accounts, um, having those connections is very important as well. And an impactful presentation. Um, I certainly see a lot of presentations, like I've mentioned. And I think that uh, less is more here. In national accounts, you typically don't get more than 45 minutes. If you try to sell your portfolio, you're going to lose them. Uh, one of my favorite uh, um, suppliers in national accounts, very successful, he would always have his dirty dozen, right? So think of something, uh, doesn't have to be that, but something where you can come up and say, here are my priorities, right? You might have an index with all of your brands that make sense, um, 
because uh, you know that, that's obviously good information to provide them, but you always want to have your priorities straight and very clearly present those priorities to them. Uh, I my agency, and and I'll leave you with this. Um, I my agency, we work with national accounts. We have account managers that are specifically work on every one of our accounts. If you're having a hard time, if you look at our website and you, and you look at our account list and you want to get into any of those accounts, reach out to us. We have the information. We know when the RFP process is. We know what the buyers are looking for. And, uh, and, and we can help you get that meeting, right? So it's, it's really that simple. Use our team. Uh, and, 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 get that, uh, and get that meeting with the buyer. Uh, that's all my time. Does uh, anybody have any questions? Yes. Uh, what typically comes first, the relationship or the engagement with a specific chain or the specific product or brand? Yeah, I guess that depends on if your company has a relationship with, uh, with them already. Um, I, I think that uh, you know the first step is obviously presenting to them, so getting a part of the RFP process, and then building your relationship from there. I'd say that's um, that that's probably the organization that that needs to happen. We're actually working on an RFP tool right now uh, because we feel that the RFP this is a little side shoot, but um, the RFP process today is, is very disorganized. If you have 50 different national account clients, you're typically going to have 50 different ways to submit your brands to them. It's a big challenge. We, uh, we are developing today, it's a, um, an RFP process that um, at least our clients will most likely use and will be available to um, all national accounts. and then further on to local accounts. But I think that uh, the, the biggest question that we always get from, from, um, from suppliers is, how do we get to know when these RFPs actually happen? And because, because it's so tight-knit and that relationship has to happen, if that relationship hasn't happened, then you're not going to know about that RFP process. It's just how, it's just how they work. And so um, that's why I think utilizing the agency is very important, but also developing that relationship. Is there any other questions? Excellent.